Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Convos with Dr. Kate. It is a chilly fall day here in Philadelphia, and I am wearing my Fail and Lucky sweatshirt and feels like a good day. So happy Friday if you're also listening on a Friday. And it's just me today. Today, I want to give an update on one of our most important objectives at the foundation, which is to fund research. And in 2023, we started a brand new grants program. And I want to cover what it is, how it works, and what we funded this year. And I would really like to thank our generous donors who truly make this initiative possible. So let's jump right in. So I want to give some background on grants first and foremost. Every time scientists do a research project, they have a budget, which covers staff that are conducting the research, the clinical costs, such as recruitment, if it's a very clinical uh, grant, machinery, supplies, etc. And most of the time, this funding comes from grants. So grants support not only the research, but the institution. So the cost to the university or hospital to keep things running, uh, maintaining the space, keeping the lights on, paying the grants managers, etc. And an example of a big funder that funds a lot of research, and I know many of you are aware of, is the NIH, National Institutes of Health. And the application process for these grants are highly competitive. So this might be something that less people are familiar with, is just how hard it is to get one of these grants. There are a bunch of different institutes within the NIH. One that's um, particularly relevant for Phelan McDermott syndrome is NINDS, National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. And anytime a scientist applies for these grants to get funded at any one of these institutes, there's not a particularly high chance they will get it. The percentage of successful applications can vary anywhere from about 10% to around 30%, depending on the institution and the funding year. This is due to limited funding and high competition. There are a lot of very qualified people applying for these grants. So oftentimes scientists will apply to a lot until they get one. So how do you get one of these grants? Um, a big part of this is your track record. Are you established in the field that you are applying for? Have you received a lot of grants and published a lot of papers before? Um, but the, pro the proposal of exactly what experiments you're going to do and what your aims are, as they call them in research, also needs to be airtight in, in how it's proposed. So these are pages upon pages, sometimes applications that are 50 pages or more, describing all the details about the research down to the budget and the timeline and what might happen if something goes wrong or an experiment doesn't show what is expected to. So all of this allows a really rigorous review panel to uh, review the likelihood of the scientists being successful if they receive the funding, because you don't want to waste funding from the government. Um, and an important piece of this is preliminary data. So the scientists should show any data that they already have collected that might indicate that this experiment or this set of experiments will be successful. So they might have some initial findings that suggest that their hypothesis is viable or something like that. And oftentimes scientists will use funding they already have to start kind of dabbling in new projects in order to generate some of this preliminary data and show some early promise to the big funders like NIH. So <laughs> that was kind of long-winded. What does any of this have to do with us? 
Well, a lot of the advancements in failing McDermott syndrome research have come from grant funding. The nine plus year long natural history study is actually a huge NIH funded grant that the team has worked hard to prepare and renew. But don't let that fool you, receiving funding in rare disease like Phelan McDermott syndrome is even more difficult than a typical proposal because a portion of these grants requires explanation of clinical significance. How many people is this affecting? You know, can you make an argument for why the government should fund this? And why should the review committee choose your cause? Uh, this will always be a challenge for a rare disease um, because of limited you know, visibility and impact due to the number of people that it affects. Um, so, and because of the known challenges getting research in rare disease funded, there's less preliminary data um, because there's less incentive for scientists to start working on projects that may never get funded. Um, so there are fewer people willing to set aside funding to start a project that might not receive funding. And, you know, recognition wise, there are fewer scientists who start out their career knowing about a disorder like Phelan McDermott syndrome um, or choosing to focus on rare disorders. So all these things are barriers to Phelan McDermott syndrome research and why PMSF is prioritizing funding um, on our own grants program. So here are some of the some of the positives of offering our own funding. Um, one, we can write our own requests for applications. So we decide what type of proposals we want or you want uh, representing the Phelan McDermott syndrome community. For instance, this year for two of our grants, we required an applicant to be very early in their career uh, to encourage them to build a future career in Phelan McDermott research. And by defining the parameters, we can fund the type of work that's most important to you. So we can actually draft a proposal or, or, or a request for proposals that includes in it all the things that, that you all want. Um, and it also allows us to broaden the network of scientists invested in Phelan McDermott syndrome and to push new boundaries of knowledge in areas that we find most important because we can ask specifically um, can you send in a proposal in this area? And if it's not, it's not qualified. So in 2023, we set out to start our grants program um, and we plan to offer it annually because this takes a lot of money, frankly, over, over a long period of time to make a big impact. And that's essentially the role of, of the NIH is just to offer lots of funding over a long period of time and it moves the needle forward. So what did it require for us to do this? Um, first, we had to identify a budget, how much uh, we wanted to offer to scientists. And we landed on 220,000 no, uh, split across three or four grants. One of them was a lot smaller grant that we partnered with um, Autism Science Foundation on. Um, but how do we land on this amount of money? So a typical year-long research project to do something accomplished uh, might cost around sixty to $70,000. And this is to pay the salary of a postdoctoral researcher usually um, doing the work and uh, supplies and other things like that. So that's roughly what it costs to do a year of quality research where you can wrap up a project. And we knew we might wanna offer a couple of grants in this range and also one that was a bit larger of $100,000 for a highly clinical 
neuropsychiatric illness project, uh, which can be more expensive the more clinical it is and the more you are working with uh, humans. So then we had to decide what categories of research to fund. So we generated a survey with a bunch of categories and we polled families with our newsletter, social media. And we'll go into what families chose in a second, but that was really an exciting process to give families you know, 10 options and hear what they most wanted funded. And then we established a review committee and a process for choosing which proposals to fund. So this process included both families and we're so thankful for their effort, the volunteers that helped us and I'll get into their role uh, shortly, but it also um, was reviewed, all these grants were reviewed by scientists and our scientific advisors. So which grant categories were chosen by families? Number one was a neuropsychiatric illness and regression research award. This was put out in concert with the natural history study team. So anybody that applied had to both use the resources of the natural history study and be mentored by a natural history study team member. Uh, the description of this was for clinical projects looking at preceding factors or underlying causes and refining treatments for neuropsychiatric illness and regression. Um, this was supposed to be a highly clinical project with a young investigator who led the project um, or an early career investigator is more accurate. And this should be somebody within the first eight years since their degree, their final degree of MD or PhD, um, so that we can have people become invested in Phelan-McDermott syndrome. The second category was Translational Research Award. Um, so this is kind of a general you know, uh, bucket for, for research, but um, this is for research projects which have shown initial promise and are possible to translate these findings into the clinic. So either something that could uh, you know, develop into a treatment or something that could develop into a assessment of how well treatments are working, something that really is important in the clinic. And the last one was the Innovative Research Award. So this was for research projects which open up new avenues for research that are not commonly studied. And um, it's pretty important that a couple of these categories are pretty broad. Uh, you know, innovative could be a lot of different things. And um, I, was really, I was really happy to see that families chose some of those broad categories as opposed to really specific symptom categories because I think the broader something is, uh, the more that you're going to get uh, from the scientists and you never know what you don't know. So they could have great ideas that you're not even thinking about. So um, these were the three categories we landed on. So we wrote these requests for applications. So we drafted up, you know, this is a request for proposals on innovative research. And the, we laid out all of the requirements and we posted them on our website and circulated them widely. And we gave scientists approximately four months to send in their applications. So we opened these on, on, you know, in January, I think January 17th, and then they were closed in April sometime. And our goal was to fund one grant in each category. And these are not short applications. They have, you know, 10, 20, 30 pages each, um, including a CV of all the research team members. Um, detailed research strategy explaining how they'll answer a unique question, um, statements that are specific to the application. So for instance, 
if it's the translational award, they have to write a statement of how this will translate to the clinic and when. And they also had to send a budget, a detailed line item budget and justification for every dollar that would be spent. So they had to get letters of support from colleagues and also provide abstracts or summaries, one for scientists and one for families. And we had both scientists and families review these, as I mentioned before. So once we got the applications in, we sent all the grants in a given category to a panel of scientific reviewers on our advisory committee and outside of this, and also a panel of family members. So I just wanna reiterate that these family members were volunteers that responded to calls we put out in our newsletter and on social media uh, that were interested in reviewing research grants. and. It, they were fantastic. They were they really took the time to review these many pages of grants and give really thoughtful feedback. And we are so thankful for that. It was a it was a really great experience, and I hope that the grant reviewers had fun too. So these reviewers were asked to read all the applications in full and give a numerical score based on some of the following categories. Like Number one was investigator. So is this person highly qualified to conduct this work based off of their track record? Number two was research strategy. Number three was relevance to family McDermott syndrome families. Number four was innovation. If it was the innovative award, it could be translation or you know neuropsych. And number five was budget use. So if you are a donor to the foundation, would you be happy with how this money was planning to be spent? And the instructions that we gave families is that, of course, their number one priority was relevance to family McDermott syndrome families category. Um, but they were open to scoring other categories if they felt they wanted to or they felt they had the expertise to, but also they didn't have to. So if you were reading a grant and it was highly technical and you didn't feel like you could comment on research strategy, we encouraged uh, families to leave this blank. But we did have a good number of families that did that and a good number that are also have a scientific background. So they were able to review. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in being a reviewer in future years, uh, but you're not sure how, you know, how much expertise you have in science, uh, don't let that stop you. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at k.pmsf.org and uh, we can definitely have you score a relevance category because you're everybody is experts in that. And in the end, the scores from scientific advisors and family member reviewers were weighted equally because we really wanted, you know, a thorough, rigorous review of the science, but also uh, real input from families that could change the outcome if they liked a certain grant a lot more. And the top score in each category when everything was average was funded. So for context, we received approximately four grants in uh, a couple of the categories all high quality and well scored. Um, so even if it hadn't been the top score, the next one was also a, a fantastic grant. And finally, <laughs> on to the most exciting part of what was selected. So in the neuropsychiatric award category, and as a reminder, this is for $100,000 for one year, uh, this was awarded to a team out of Boston Children's Hospital mostly. Um, so this has a early career investigator, Dr. Melina Anselm, MD-PhD at Boston Children's Hospital. So she's the primary applicant um, and primary leader of this research. 
And then we have Siddharth Srivastava, who is a mentor and an MD at Boston Children's Hospital. So he's going to help guide uh, Dr. Anselm. And then we have Dr. Paisy Kohlenberg, and she's serving as a consultant. And also recently heard that Dr. Audrey Thurm at NIH is going to be a consultant on this. So what was the grant about? It was, um, I'm gonna read a little bit about what they wrote. And they said, a subset of individuals with Phelan-McDermid syndrome develop serious neuropsychiatric illness in their teens and twenties. And about half have new lasting loss of skills regression of this group. Phelan-McDermid syndrome patients are hard to treat with psychiatric medications. And some have responded to treatments that target the immune system, such as IVIG, if you have all heard of that. And this fact, combined with the knowledge that shank 3 is present in an organ of the immune system, has led to interest in understanding whether people with PMS, particularly those with serious neuropsychiatric illness, have underlying differences in their immune system that might guide treatment. So some of the experiments that they're going to do is they're going to ask families to consent to a medical history on immunological factors, such as whether they have any history of autoimmune disease, they will also be invited to have their blood drawn for immune studies and to consent to you know, a larger review of medical records. And then families whose children have lumbar punctures as part of their current medical care will be asked to donate a sample of spinal fluid for state-of-the-art studies on brain inflammation. So we were really thrilled to be able to uh, give this award and we have a lot of hope for it. And we've heard from families who do experience neuropsychiatric illness that they do feel there's some immunological link, um, either with infection or they've, they've noticed some trend uh, immunology-based. So really excited about that. And next for the Translational Award, which as a reminder, is a grant that bridges the gap between promising pilot laboratory data and then the development of new therapeutics or assessments. Um, the winning grant is focused on improving a clinical assessment in GI dysfunction, which can be done at home and remotely. So this went to a team of four main scientists and clinicians at four different universities, and they all equally share responsibility on this grant. So that's primarily led by Julia Dahlman, Dr. Julia Dahlman at University of Miami, um, but is also partnered with Dr. Calliope Halingwe at Kennedy Krieger Institute. Um, Dr. Baharak Moshri and Dr. William Bennett, or Billy Bennett, as you may know him. And this is focused on that GI symptoms are common and negatively impact the quality of life among people with Phelan-McDermid syndrome. These symptoms include constipation, which may be related to altered movement of the gut called motility. And current GI motility tests are difficult to do in people with Phelan-McDermid syndrome. The team has therefore developed an alternative objective measure of GI transit where participants ingest muffins with blue dye, or if they have feeding tubes, they mix blue dye into their formula. And they then use a mobile app that allow caregivers to track GI transit time at home. So the goal of this proposal is to one, improve the interface of this app and this design and make it easier for caregivers. So that, that part of the project is actually ongoing right now. And number two, to conduct this test on a larger number of people with Phelan-McDermid syndrome, approximately 75, which is a pretty good sample size, along with a detailed history of GI symptoms to ensure the test is measuring what it's supposed to. 
And finally, they're going to see how motility and transit changes over time in people with failing McDermott syndrome. So this is a remote-based study that would provide families with an objective measure of GI transit that they can do at home to help manage symptoms. And eventually something like this could make, could well, the plan is for it to make its way into the clinic as a, as a reliable metric that can be used to say, okay, are these symptoms improving then? Because you can measure them. So we're really thrilled also about this work. So last but not least is the Innovation Award focused on research that is typically understudied and opens up new areas of questioning and research. And this award was given to a early career investigator, Dr. Bridget Moffitt at Clemson University, as well as Dr. Luigi Bocuto, her mentor at Clemson University, and Dr. Sarah Sarasua, also at Clemson University. And the focus of the project was to ask that if people with Phelan McDermott syndrome have varied responses to clinical treatments, could any of this be explained by differences in their metabolic responses to the treatments? So in the own words of the research team, they said that extensive clinical and genetic variability in Phelan McDermott syndrome has hampered treatment development. Several clinical trials have employed insulin-like growth factor one and human growth hormone to alleviate neurological symptoms in PMS and other disorders. But considering that these treatments regulate numerous cellular activities, such as proliferation and energy storage, we suggest that assessing the metabolic response to these and other compounds by cells from individuals with phalan McDermott syndrome will inform us about the interaction with our body and what effects they may generate. So essentially to reiterate, um, this project is focused on profiling metabolic responses in cells from people with Phelan McDermott syndrome, um, and is focused on additional treatments beyond IGF-1 and human growth hormone to other candidate treatments in the clinic. The hope being that ultimately we could learn there may be different metabolic groups in Phelan McDermott syndrome that might explain to some degree response to certain treatments. And I should point out that this is occurring in the laboratory from de-identified specimens. Uh, you're not going to receive a call from the research team that you've been placed in a certain group or anything like that. So while this is highly innovative and highly exciting, um, it's not applicable to the clinic just yet. That wraps up the three grant categories. I think we're just absolutely thrilled. We're so thrilled about the Innovation Award as well as the other two categories. And we really feel that this type of funding will help um, to get more preliminary data, to get larger grants and to solidify investment from, from these researchers. And also that the grants themselves that we've just funded will, will return data to the community. Um, so we hope that all of these will result in publications that we can share with you um, at the end. And in terms of timing, we have executed contracts for all three of these awards at varied start dates, but roughly they're going to occur throughout the year of 2024. So the um, gastrointestinal grant has actually already started. It's already been executed. Um, so that will be done in October of next year. Um, and the Clemson uh, grant focused on metabolic responses is also starting right now. Um, and then the neuropsychiatric illness grant will start in December and will end in December of next year. So these are all one-year grants. And we really um, have encouraged all of the grant recipients to present their findings at the upcoming PMSF family conference. 
Um, we don't know exactly what that will look like yet, if, that, if those are posters, if those are presentations. So if anyone has any feedback on that of, you know, they'd like to dive in, they'd like to have a presentation, let us know, but we really want to make sure that those results are shared at the conference and we can't wait for that. And I'm, I'm just as an aside, I'm thrilled for the conference um, for next July, just because I have not met that number of Phelan McDermott syndrome families at once. And I'm just, it's so lovely whenever I get the chance to see anyone in person. So I really look forward to seeing a lot of you. So that wraps up the summary of our 2023 grants program. We will be continuing this in 2024. So please keep your eyes peeled for anything about uh, what categories you want funded. We will be posting this in our social on our social media channels over email and on, in our newsletter. So make sure that you vote on that. And if you are interested in being a reviewer, um, even if you were just a reviewer last time, please reach out to me and we will add you to our reviewer list and we will continue funding important work. So I can't wait to see what we get next year. And I hope that this program just keeps growing. So thank you all and I will see you next time.